Welcome to the ITSB Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new episode of Secure Your Strategy Podcast, where your host, Chloe Mestagi, provides strategies to leaders and managers on how to repair critical issues in security and tech. We're glad you've tuned in. It's time to secure your strategy and your stakeholder approval. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of ITSP Magazine, Secure Your Strategy. And today I have the wonderful guest, Tracy. Tracy, why don't you tell the people who you are? Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me back, Chloe. Uh, I'm Tracy Maley. You may also know me as InfoSec Sherpa, and I am thrilled to be here. And uh, yeah, I am currently job hunting, actually, uh, but I previously held roles uh, with GlaxoSmithKline, the New York Times, the Krebs Stamos Group. Uh, so yeah, I, I've seen a lot of different aspects of our industry and I come to our industry from library science. So I feel like I have a really unique perspective on all this. I think that's like one of the things that really stood out when I first met you was the fact that you were into library science before you got into mm-hmm. this industry. Because I ha- I don't think I've met too many people like that in our industry. <laughs> and so like when I met with you, it was just like, oh, wow. Okay, this is awesome. I have so many questions. Um, but I, and it, yeah. yeah, it always made sense to me. I mean, I, I knew that I wanted to make a career change. I first looked at tech in general. And I honestly, I really didn't gel with a lot of those people. I would go to meet tech meetups and I don't know how it is in other cities, but at least in Philly a couple of years ago, they only people only wanted to talk to you at networking events if you either had a lot of money to invest or you thought you had the next Facebook idea, basically. Yeah. And if you didn't fit in either one of those buckets, people would just like heel turn and walk away from you. I'm like, oh, I don't I don't like these people very much. <laughs> but when I found my island of misfit toys of cybersecurity folks and infosec folks then I, I knew that I found a home there. But uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of areas of library science that I think can either be applied to InfoSec or you know that we can just learn from. And that's a lot of the talks that I do, honestly, including RSA. <laughs> Next month, I'll be speaking about how to make InfoSec better through library science. I love that. And I know like one of the things that uh, we were talking a little bit earlier before we start recording was about how our industry could do so much better when it comes to communication. And it feels like people are always asking for advice on how do I do better in communicating my needs? Also, how do I communicate when I'm in the middle of a fire? Um, (laughs) So yeah, so everyone, if you're listening, that's what we're going to tackle today. And we may talk about other things because that's just (laughs) how things go. (laughs) So Tracy, someone did reach out to you recently and asked for advice. You want to tell us a little bit about the story? Sure. Um, yeah, there's definitely been a lot of questions about communications. And and first, I want to just uh, kind of divide up. When I talk about communications and information security, I feel like there's at least two different ways to look at it. Uh, one, how you communicate with uh, your end users. I know a lot of people don't like that term for some reason. So I also, so I, I propose consumers of security <laughs> because they are consuming your security services. Um, how you talk to the people who consume your security services and how you deal with 
say, peers in a tech department within your organization. That's going to be two different methods of communication, really. So I wanted to share a story from a past job, if if that's okay, of, okay. of how eye-opening it was for me to see how InfoSec people, not everyone, obviously, but how a lot of people in InfoSec communicate or not communicate. Uh, so I was new to this job and they had me tag along to a meeting with the, the manager of another IT department within the, the company. And the purpose of the meeting was that this manager wanted our security team to review this open source software that he wanted to you know, put into use in his department. And this was the meeting to give the results. And I noticed how sort of mean <laughs> they they were were to this manager and just telling telling him no and you know really just kind of shooting ideas down left and right and really not working with him and it was starting to to bug me but again i was new and i didn't really know what i should say but when the manager from the other department spoke up and said why do i feel like i'm being punished because i asked the security team to review this for me that felt like a gut punch and that's what made me speak up. And so I like to think I kind of took control of the situation, but I just looked at him directly and just said, you know, what's, what's the, the, what's the, the biggest impediment for you to implement the more secure paid version of this software versus this open source that you're talking about? Um, Cause just as a backstory, the, the team had, pen tested it and it decided that the open source version didn't meet our security standards. I'll just leave it at that. I don't want to get a bunch of hate letters from open source advocates. It was this one particular situation. It didn't meet the standards. So anywho, um, and his response was, as you can imagine, was money, right? You know, well, it costs, you know, nothing <laughs> for the open source, but it, you know, and it costs, you know, this amount of money and it's money. So my first thought was, Okay, well, who do we need to speak to, to you know, to to show our case of, okay, but it, you know, if we if we pay for the the more secure, you know, version, that will be a cost savings in the end because then in six months we won't be dealing with cleaning up an incident, yeah, for an example. So long story short, you know, wound up, uh, you know, speaking to the person who could approve the money, made the case. You know, they got them set up with the paid version and everything. But think about how that could have gone if I hadn't spoken up or if he hadn't said that that comment about feeling attacked, which then you know provoked me to jump in. You know, so what would have happened? You know, maybe just out of desperation or shadow IT, they would have employed the less secure version. Uh, so so this that's why I, I like to tell that story of you know, how you communicate with people is very impactful. Uh, when I first came into InfoSec, uh, I saw a lot of people acting like Eric Cartman from South Park of, you know, <laughs> respect, respect my authority. And, uh, you know, just kind of walking around like a sheriff, uh, a lot of do as I say, not as I do, you know, the same people yelling about, you know, stupid end users are, you know, you know, logging in on a server to check their email or something dumb like that. Like, I, I just saw a lot of hypocrisy and just a lot of this uh, territorial kind of attitude. And coming from library science, that just didn't sit well with me because in library science, 
the patron, you know, the, the library user is your focal point and you don't have a job without that person. <laughs> so I, I've been trying to, you know, my years here in InfoSec, I've been trying to relay some of those ideas that, you know, you need to, you need to ask questions of things that people didn't say, for example, you know, if somebody's going to either they're complaining to you about something or they're coming to you with a problem, say they clicked on a, a phishing email, you know, listen to what they have to say. You're the expert. Go back and and think of what didn't they say that might help add to this. An example of this is I had someone uh, at a job contact me that they clicked, uh, you know, a, a phishing email. And I said, OK, let's let's walk through what all happened here. And the short version of this is, oh, I saw this email. It looked it looked OK. I clicked on it. It asked me for my username and password. I closed the browser and called you. OK, let's go back. What happened between you opening the browser and you closing it? And that's when they disclosed because I asked that question specifically. Then they told me, oh, well, yeah, it asked me for my login, my username and password, and I put it in and then the website didn't do anything. So then I closed the browser. Well, all of us in InfoSec should realize what just happened, right? Their credentials got stolen. And why didn't they say that what, the first time? Maybe they didn't think that was, you know, a, a good piece of information because they just don't know because security is mm -hmm. my job and not theirs. Um, maybe they did think it was kind of suspicious and maybe they were afraid to say it. Uh, so that's the kind of thing. But if you don't go back and ask those questions, you know, you if you ask the things that aren't said, you could miss a lot of information. And there's a way to do it with respect. Yeah. And, you know, and uh, like I said, when I said when that happened with that person, I just said, oh, OK, let's 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 just go back one more time. And, you know, I, I don't I don't say things like, what did you do? You know, I'll say what transpired after that or or, you know, what happened after you clicked that, you know, because it's taking the blame off of them and you're just trying to fact find you're trying to be a detective, not a sheriff. So I didn't admonish this person for clicking on the link, just asked all the questions I needed to you know handle the situation and then made it a teachable moment of, you know, here are some signs you could have looked for. So. I, I think more people having an attitude like that uh, and handling themselves like that will stop having us being adversaries with the consumers of, of our security. Uh, I think there is uh, too much friction between the people who uh, who do security and the people who consume it uh, because there are too many people who just have a bad attitude, in my opinion. I think it's a lot about, I've seen this quite a bit with the security folks it's like shame. Mm -hmm. It's like how we communicate to people that are outside our circle. It's like, well, why would you click on that? Why would you fill that out? Did you check the URL? Didn't you, don't you remember the lessons? Like yeah. that, you don't want to talk like that to someone because now they're going to feel shame and now they're not going to get help or tell you if they do something wrong again. Right. And I know a lot of people are like, well, shame works because then they won't do it again because they'll feel shameful. And they're like, I don't think that's really actually the case because you no. still want to keep that channel of communication open. You don't want to be seen as like the jerk in the room who's going to tell you you're terrible um, indirectly. And like, you're, and, yeah. yeah. 
and what and what shame and what shame does is shame prevents them from telling you about it. Yeah. So the other example I give is it you know is it's all about approachability. You know, would you rather have an end user come to you five minutes before lunchtime and say, "Oh, you know, I know I did something wrong. Uh, here's the details," or they don't tell you because they were shamed, and it's four fifty nine on a Friday of a holiday weekend and all of a sudden your alerts start blowing up because and your logs are going crazy because a user did something and they were too shamed to to tell you about it. I'd rather work through my lunch than have to stay late on a holiday weekend uh, to try and piece together something I have very little details about versus someone feeling comfortable enough to approach me and say, hey, I, I did something, I know it was wrong. And I'm like, okay, well, let's let's get through this together. We'll work through this, you know, tell me the the circumstances. If I think if you frame it that way, it kind of starts to get into people's heads of like, oh, okay, now like mm -hmm. I, I'm going to be inconvenienced one way or another because I'm yeah, it's going to happen no matter what. But yeah, Thank you. Like, that's what <laughs> I want people to understand. It's like you're going to be inconvenienced one way or another because this is going to happen. Would you rather have have it happen, you know, at lunchtime or, you know, after work? And like, think about it that way. So yeah, approachability is a big factor in library science that I've been trying to bring over uh, to InfoSec. And I, I've seen it happen. I've been at jobs where people didn't feel comfortable going to the security team as a whole for whatever reason, um, you know, a variety of reasons why. Uh, and they just felt comfortable coming to me directly. And I know for for one instance, I was able to avoid a potential security issue with a couple hundred employees uh, because this one department wanted to all install this certain app that had a lot of privacy concerns <laughs> when I checked it out. Um, and if they hadn't asked or hadn't come to me directly, we who knows what we would have had on our hands. But I'm just grateful that I do practice the approachability and I want people to come to me, you know, no matter how bad it is, we'll get through it. I just, you know, need your cooperation. And that too, if you make the person feel important and not shamed of like, okay, you know, help me through this, tell me what you know, things like that. You know, maybe it's a little bit of uh, you know, psyops, what InfoSec also likes to play with. Maybe it's a little bit of social engineering, but if it helps you resolve the issue, what harm is there yeah. in that? I, you definitely get cases of also people in security team doing something wrong or clicking on the link. And it, it's always a good moment to always, if they're already coming to tell you about it, they already know they did something wrong. And it's always good to remind them like, hey, it happens to so many people. Well-known people in security will click on something at some point. And it's oh, just for sure. good to just like let people know mistakes are going to happen. That's what human and that's why we have security. It's because security wouldn't happen if humans were perfect in a sense. Yeah. And, and it is definitely harder when you start talking about family mm -hmm. um, because that I mean, I get it. That's frustrating, too, when, you know, you you talk about security with your family and then, you know, you only get contacted when some when somebody's you know screaming because they did something terribly wrong. Yeah, that's very frustrating. And I, I feel that, that too. Um, but you know what, that that's a, a talk for a different day of de <laughs> dealing with, with family and security, because that that is a whole different ball of wax. Yeah, exactly. So what would you what kind of advice would you give to say, for example, 
security leaders on how they can do better when it comes to communicating with others about security risks. I, I, we tend to see this question pop up quite a bit on LinkedIn on what are some best practices. Well, honestly, I, I think, I, I think that people need to be asked what their concerns are first. I think a lot of times we kind of go in with our own agenda for security. Um, if the things that we're saying don't either pertain to those people or they're not high up on their list, you know, then it's, they're just, it's going to, we're going to sound like Charlie Brown's teacher, you know, to them, they're going to be maybe only just listening for whatever keyword they want to hear. So I would flip the script and, you know, ask folks, you know, what are, what are their biggest, you know, security concerns? And if they say none, well, then that's when you can start going and, and pick, you know, fine tuning and, and narrowing in on something. And it also depends on to whom you're speaking. Are you speaking to a C-suite? Are you speaking to, uh, you know, the, the admin assistant pool? Uh, you know, maybe an admin assistant who supports four different executives. You know, their, their needs and, you know, their threat model is going to be different. So the, I think that's the first part of communication that leaders need to understand is, you know, do you even know to whom you're speaking? And are is your advice tailored to them? Or are you just throwing some cookie cutter talk at them that's not going to mean anything? Uh, so, you know, and if people don't have communication skills, whether it's a leader or someone who's just a brand new SOC analyst, you know, take an online class or a Udemy or watch videos. Um, I know a lot of people recommend Toastmasters and, you know, being able to communicate is, is going to go a long way in security. The, the number one example I give people, because I feel like this hits home the hardest with them is I'll say, you never know sometime in the future, there may be a non-technical CFO chief financial officer that's in between you and the budget you want to get approved. And you need to explain to this non-technical CFO why they need to approve this, you know, this amazing budget for you. If you can't articulate that, you know, these technical terms in non-technical ways added in with like business value and things like that, then you're, you're never going to get your security budget. <laughs> so there, you know, you have to be so mindful of your audience. And I think that's what people approach communication of, of coming from themselves of like, well, what am I going to say? Pause. Who am I talking to first? Who am I speaking to? What are their concerns? Let me speak to their concerns. That's where I think we mess up as humans with communication is that, we, we think about ourselves first and we really need to be thinking about uh, to whom we're relaying the message to. I think what you said earlier about asking for their questions is definitely something that I think our industry can practice because we're always like quick to jump. Okay, I'll tell you what it is. But the reality is you have to find out maybe the way that they're communicating it is going to give you the, give you the opportunity to give them the wrong answer. So asking all these additional questions, I think it's really beneficial before like leaping in to save the day, take a step back and keep listening. I think that's one of the things that I feel like, you know, also what you said earlier about you need to know who you're selling or positioning this product or situation to. 
Um, because uh, if you are talking to someone on a security team, like as if you were talking to someone on the marketing team, it should be very different of a conversation, not watered down, dumbed down. But I mean, like it will be a very different type of conversation, different verbiage and, and, you know, way we communicate. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely heard, uh, you know, infosec folks speak with a lot of jargon. Uh, I'm not picking on them, but I actually had an uh, instance, not an incident, but an instance recently where a military person uh, was, we're having a conversation and they just start throwing some acronyms at me. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? And then another military person had to overheard and and translated. And, And that, and again, it wasn't, I mean, maybe if I thought about it, I could have figured it out. But it, honestly, it was a term I'd never heard before. It was something very military specific. That's how you lose your audience. Yeah. You know, and that's how miscommunication happens. Uh, so, yeah, that that using, you know, not using jargon. And yeah, like a lot of people want to think of it as dumbing down, which is also just very arrogant. You're just simplifying. You know, their job isn't security. So, yeah. you know, and but you can also maybe... Uh, you know, maybe gauge what their level is, you know, maybe give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, you know, there's that T-shirt that for for women at InfoSec conferences of assume she is technical and breathes fire. Uh, you know, un- unless you ask, you know, may- maybe just say to the person, oh, how, you know, how comfortable are you with me using more technical terminology? And then let them make the decision of, Oh, I don't even know how to turn on the computer versus, oh, no, I'm good. I think, you know, I'll, you can speak, you know, speak to me, give it to me straight technical terms. There is a way you can work that in a conversation if you're not, I would say specifically if you're not sure about someone's technical level and that maybe you have to get into some technical concepts, let them tell you, you know, um, that I, I, that's as simple as that of, you know, and I think most people will probably err on the side of of going uh, more simplistic. I, you know, for the most part, uh, if someone, but you know, you can also kind of tell in someone's eyes <laughs> if you're using technical term. If they tell you that they understand technical terms, but they look lost, uh, you know, maybe they were just trying to save face. But there's ways. This is why you take some, you know, classes in communication. There are ways then you can change your language to kind of work back into some work, some definitions into the terms and, and things like that, or saying an acronym, saying the letters of an acronym and then identifying it in the same breath, you know, just, you know, real, you know, it's like, Oh, these rats, these remote access Trojans, you know, you just kind of say it all together. So you're not making someone feel dumb. You're just saying it all in one breath, like as if to you, it's all one thing. I think it's also really good to do that, especially with neurodivergent. Like you don't know who's in your audience. And so acronyms can be seen as different things. So for example, an acronym you use on, let's say sales is going to be different from some acronyms you use in security. And then developers have their own acronyms, but also there's so many acronyms in the first place in our industry. And so, yeah, people are going to forget what it stands for, or they'll be like, and what do you mean by that acronym? Can you please, you know, share a little bit more, bro- break it down so I can, I want to be on the same page as you. And I have come to experience where I did have something like that happen in the past. And then someone's like, really, you don't know what that is, that acronym. And then they like talk, they mansplain 
like yeah. it, it's not I mean it's not even a mansplaining thing but you know you'll have people that will like are really you don't know what that is let my ego tell you about this thing and it's yeah. like okay well you know I'm just pointing it out because that means something very different if you talk to a different person on a security team yeah, I was going to say there's so many areas within information security, which is an umbrella term that, yeah, the same acronyms could mean something wildly different. Um, a, a funny misunderstanding with acronyms is SLA, which to a lot of people in tech or in infosec means service level agreement. Well, in library world, for me, it meant special libraries association. Uh, it was the professional association I was involved with for many years. And to that point, I remember one of the last meetings I was in as a librarian, uh, we were talking to a, a sales rep about a certain software, and this sales rep mentioned something about SLA. And my boss, of all people at the table, said, what does the Special Libraries Association have to do with this? And I was like, in this instance, it means service level agreement because of context. And and she said, to, you know, and then she said to me, you know, well, how did you know that? And I'm like, context clues, but okay. Um, yeah, so it's a it's a wildly different, different thing. And it really caused confusion in the, in the meeting because that person was speaking tech and to, to librarians who, you know, ex like are all except for me, we're familiar with the other meaning of SLA. And I don't think it's any coincidence that that was uh, on when I was on my way out of library world and I had already kind of been steeped in, in tech for about a year or so uh, um, exploring. So, but if I hadn't, I think it probably would have been kind of, kind of foreign for me. So yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Acronyms mean different things to different people. Um, you know, I, I, I just feel like you need to have a more positive attitude uh, with this. And I know that's hard for some, for some people. Um, oh, the other thing I was going to mention, and you touched upon it, uh, I do have to admit, I I don't really know a lot about giving tips for neurodivergent folks. And that's something I'm happy to learn more about because I I know what sort of tips I have that that work for me, which do involve a lot of uh, reading body language and and things like that, which it has been expressed to me. Well, not everybody can pick up on that. So I, I admit that I I just I don't know how to translate my tips for neurodivergent folks. If if people want to teach me, <laughs> that'll be great because I want everyone to be able to have these same tips and skills to succeed. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to have a mea culpa of, I I understand as I'm saying these things in the back of my head, I realize that not everyone can pick up on the mood of a room. Uh, but if you, so I'll just put it this way, if you can tap into that and then redirect your talk. Um, you know, a lot of times I've been giving security awareness talks and you realize things are falling flat. You see looks of confusion. You just change it up as you go. Yeah, and a good tip for that, what you can do is also contact the conference and ask them what are the demographics of usually the people that attend, and especially for your talk. So then you can be prepared to have, you know, the demographics in your mind when you're giving that presentation. It is very hard to read a room um, mm -hmm. for some. And so that's that is one way how to go about it. Or you can have one of your friends be in the audience or get in the room before 
and try to give you an idea what to expect. Or you could do hand raising. So you could be like, yes, how many of you yeah. guys are CISOs? Now raise your yeah. hand. How many of you guys are analysts? How many of you guys are brand new to security? And that yeah. can also help you read the room of like, you know, or if you're all Bingo. saying, right? Is everyone having a good day? Raise your hand. Or if you're burned out, raise your hand. Like it gives you, first of all, it's going to wake up your audience beforehand too. So that's, that's the tip I've, I've learned. Yeah. Doing uh, some sort of audience engagement is, is great. Asking questions is great. Um, you know, I definitely like to do that. I have this one technique, depending on the audience I'm giving it to. Uh, it's usually for people not in the industry. I don't want to give away what the phrase is, but I have this certain phrase that I have people do hand motions with it and say something. Um, it's basically a stress reliever because I'm giving this talk to non-technical folks about all these really scary security topics. So I will periodically through the talk offer this little stress relief. Uh, and then it makes people laugh and feel, you know, feel comfortable. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that that's definitely something that people can work on are, are these communication skills, your ri written, you know, and verbal. Uh, and I think that that managers or, or any, any higher ups, you know, I think people appreciate, you know, the truth and appreciate honesty. And, you know, yeah, if, if the budget wasn't approved for some reason and we can't get certain tools, you know, you, I always learned as a law firm librarian, you know, you can take away as long as you also give something. So if you have to explain to someone that, you know, the new budget wasn't approved and we can't get this fancy, you know, shiny uh, security toy, the security blinky box, you know, maybe, you know, put the bad news first, but then follow it up with, okay, but I did some research and here's a list of comparable tools that we can still utilize. Um, and, and do this for your end users too. You're like, no, I, I, we can't have you going to this, you know, gaming website or something like that, but maybe offer them, uh, you know, knowledge of, oh, well, I know the nearby supermarket has, uh, an open Wi-Fi that probably won't block that that gambling website for you. That's probably a horrible example, but um, just trying to illustrate the point of if you do have to say no to someone, it lessens the blow of of disappointment or upsetment if you can offer something to them instead. You know, a reasonable facsimile. Uh, an example of that was one time when I was a librarian. I noticed that this this one book that ten of our attorneys had was this thousand dollar book. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to go to the shelf of our library because I want to see what a thousand dollar book looks like. And I'm thumbing through it. And because of my experience, I'm realizing, oh, three quarters of this book is free online because it's government material. One quarter of this book was proprietary. Long story short, I was able to craft these instructions of here's how you can get three quarters of that book for free online by doing these steps. And for the other part of the book, I found this $100 replacement that's, you know, that's the same as isn't here. May I cancel this $1,000 <laughs> book? And all of the attorneys were unanimous were, were because nobody told them. Yeah. And they then they felt upset that this $1,000 book was being attached to them. But yeah, no one had ever noticed or realized 
this. And, and so, yeah, like, but I guarantee you, if I had just gone up to them and say, I'm going to cancel this $1,000 book for you, they would have fought for me. But when I approached it as, you know, we're, we're getting grossly overcharged for something that is mostly free. Uh, and then when I phrased it that way, oh, okay. Yeah. Get my name, take my name off of that. You know, <laughs> like don't, yeah. Get rid of it. That I can't believe that that happened. It's, it's all on how you phrase things. So yeah. yeah, you can, you can take away and do it nicely and still give someone, you know, a tool to use, use instead. Oh, I love all these suggestions and I'm sure our listeners are going to love it as well. Tracy, it was lovely to have you on here. Yes. We'll have to get you back on here in the future and I'll see you at RSA conference. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I'm uh, InfoSec Sherpa uh, on, on Twitter and I have other links there, but yeah, I am job hunting and I'd love to, uh, to talk with you some, with some folks and I'd love to be on again. So we'll have to set that up. Sounds good. All right. Take care, everyone. We'll see you soon. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Secure Your Strategy Podcast with Chloe Mastagi, part of the ITSB Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then share this channel and itsbmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.